Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses serious problems in the church that we still deal with in our day. And through this series, we're also learning how we can live for Christ even as we're tempted to live for ourselves. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. And I have been attending Gateway my whole life, and I'm excited to join the summer camp staff at church again this year, um, starting this summer. This morning, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those who are not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may be sharing in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bibles open there at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be jumping in back and forth in it as we march on through the next number of moments that we have together. So back in February, I left on a trip that I thought I would never make in my life. I was nervous to go. I was pretty sad to leave home. And I kind of had no idea about where I was going and some rough idea about what we we're going to do when we got there. Now, I knew we were going, yes, to the Philippines. That's what the ticket said. That's what all of our preparations were all about. But I was still pretty unsure about what that life in the Philippines was going to look like. I don't think much can fully prepare you for what that experience is going to be. I knew that we were going to be serving alongside some local pastors, uh, one there in Manila and another on the island of Mindoro. I knew that much. But more than that, I really didn't really know. And so I remember the moments there in the airport as a number of us were gathered there, if some of our families came to wish us off, to say a closing prayer for us as we eventually uh, took off. And I remember in that moment as my wife and my children, they turned to leave, I felt this moment of uh, cluelessness. I felt a moment of uh, a deep uncertainty, of helplessness as my family was now gone and I was now with my, a new family for another 11, 12 days. But I also felt a willingness, a readiness in my heart. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but I knew that something was to come and that I needed to be ready for that. Pastor Jason and Marcel, uh, sorry, wow, I got that one backwards. Pastor Jaden, who is, he would hate if I said that. Uh, Pastor Marcel and Jaden, they did as much preparation as they could for us as we uh, were planning to go. Well, we flew 14 and a half hours, landed there in Manila, got to our hotel, rested and explored. We attended a local church, we visited a local tribe, and we spent much time learning about the culture of the Philippines, of, of Manila and Mindoro, where we would go soon. We uh, arrived there at the church on Mindoro after a whole long day of travel and adventure, and we arrived there to set up home where we were going to live for the next number of days. And over the next number of days, we would visit, we would minister, we would get to know the people of the tribe that we were staying with. From that point, we would travel to other tribes, bringing rice and playing games and getting to know other tribes further away. But as the week drew to an end, uh, a service was planned, a special communion sort of service was planned by one of the local pastors there. His name was Pastor Ed. 
he had a passion to mentor and to guide other local pastors. I've got a picture of this for you right here. This here is Pastor Ed. Uh, it's his wife, and there's, uh, sorry, his wife is playing guitar. And there's all of the local pastors and some of the elders and others gathered in behind. One of the things that we learned on this trip was the theme of flexibility. Um, if you know me, I'm not the most flexible of people. I, I don't adapt too, too easily to different things. Something I'm not so great of. And so one of the things ahead of this moment that's happening here, uh, Jaden pulled me aside a little bit, of, a little bit beforehand, and he told me something that uh, was to prepare me for this coming service. He told me that we were going to do something special for, for Pastor Ed and all these individuals uh, just to uh, build up their leadership, to encourage and equip them in a special way. He told me we were going to wash their feet. Now, if you know me, I am passionate about a variety of things. My faith, my wife and my family, my children. Top of the importance scales pretty high. I love in my spare time to go road cycling. I love working in my garage on wood projects. And what I am the least passionate about by the furthest stretch of the imagination is feet. Feet are just the worst. I, I can tell you why, but I'm not gonna I'm gonna spare you the details because I want you to be able to eat your lunch soon. I'm even nervous talking about that. It's gross. Yeah. Just know I just really, really don't like feet. And for some reason, Jaden knows this. Uh, perhaps a few too many long conversations at the doorpost of our office, uh, working alongside shoulder to shoulder for a little bit too long. I don't know. He figured it out, and he knows that I really don't like feet. So he, with, I think, some respect and honest desire that I would know, he pulled me aside and says, Adam, we're going to be watching feet pretty soon, <laughs> and you're invited to participate. Ugh. Well, the communion service went on. Pastor Ed handed over the leadership to Pastor Marcel to turn it over into this moment where we would um, wash, wash feet and to bless their community and to affirm their leadership. Marcel filled a small bucket of water, grabbed a towel, and washed Pastor Ed's feet. And while watching our team serve and the pastors and elders receive this moment, I felt my gut turn in not the good way. I don't know if there is a good way. I felt queasy and more anxious than I ever expected. And soon Jaden, uh, Jaden was kind of standing kind of here in the story, and I was standing, that's about right off screen. Um, I was standing way off in the back, just watching this from a distance. And he nods at me, kind of look, this, this look like, are you going to do it? I started walking forward. Okay. I've never seen really a picture of me touching someone else's foot, and I just feel a grossness in my heart here as I do this. So this gentleman here, this gentleman is Pastor Dudong, local pastor to the specific church that we were visiting. And in this moment, as I dipped his foot in that, that pool of water and began to wipe away the dust and the mud of his foot, I paused. And I looked up at him. I actually had another picture where I was looking up at him, and you could see an expression more in his face. Uh, but he was tearing up. And there was a words that he was saying, Bunton Boywa, Bunton Boywa, Bunton Boywa, the Munyan dialect for thank you. Thank you, he kept on repeating. In this moment, all I could do is look up back at him and say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless your ministry. May the Lord bless your family. And as I consider this moment back on Manduro and as we read this text, I'm left asking this question. 
What does it look like to serve others in the name of Christ in the 21st century? What does it look like to serve Christ in the name of Christ, these people in the 21st century? Well, my answer, which we, I think we hear from Paul, is the same thing it took Paul in the first century. As we look at Paul through 1 Corinthians 9 and through the entire letter as a whole, we begin to see Paul was willing to step in. We see that Paul was adapting his methods. He was getting to know the people and he was working with them. He learned that he had to give everything he got. So first, we're going to look at the first point. Paul was willing to give everything. Sorry, that's that's the third point. It starts with an attitude of willingness. It starts with an attitude of willingness. 1 Corinthians 9 Chapter uh, verse 19 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. That I might win more of them. So we join Paul in chapter 9 here in the middle of a thought as he's developing a conversation around setting aside our personal freedoms as human beings and committing ourselves to be full servants of Christ. And here at verse 19, Paul turns a corner in this conversation and turns it into a practical lesson about how we can practically speak about giving up our rights and how it takes shape as we would seek to spread the gospel. And so this particular text, it opens up with Paul telling us that he's a free man. He's not responsible to a single other soul. He's not in bondage to anyone. And But in that freedom, he says, I have surrendered myself fully and completely to the Lord as his slave. And he willingly took that posture in his life, answering the Lord's call upon him. So as we might be familiar, Paul was born a man, a boy named Saul. He grew up in the most traditional sense that a Jewish boy could. He excelled in every aspect of Jewish study. And as little Saul grew up, he studied further under the wisest of Pharisees, a man named Gamaliel. He became a Pharisee himself. Saul practiced and executed Jewish law, not missing a single dot, not missing a single iota of it, the whole Torah. But as the Christian church was growing there in that first century, Paul took it upon himself, Saul took it upon himself to see that this whole growth would stop. To see that these Jewish followers, the people who've jumped away from the Jewish roots, would be punished for doing so. But then one day, as Paul was, sorry Saul, was traveling on to a little place called Damascus, A voice came, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Said Jesus. Acts 9 verse 15 then says, For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel. And to the children of Israel, to the Jews. And so by the end of Acts chapter 9, Saul, now called Paul, is preaching in synagogues and seeing the church of Christ grow. And the rest of Acts talks about the growth of the church and how through the Lord's work in Paul and through Paul, the church continued to grow. Now here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see just how the Lord was able to use Paul to instrument those moments of growth. Now if you and I, into our world where we are at, if we are to have a similar effect in in the circles where we are, we need to learn a few things. We need to grow in a few different directions. We need to learn a few things from Paul's own practice. And the first thing that we're going to stop and we're going to talk about is that before we can win hearts, we must gain an audience. Before we can win hearts, we must gain an audience. So just a few weeks ago, I was traveling from the office here and heading up to the school to pick up my kids. And at the corner of Immel and Old Claiborne there, at the crosswalk on the Crosswalk Islands, there's two gentlemen. 
And these two gentlemen were there holding signs. And the first sign that one was holding said this. Jesus is coming soon. Repent. Big sign held on the street corner. Gentleman right beside him held another sign. I'm pretty sure I got the words wrong on how I remembered, but he basically said, through the blood, Jesus saves. Another sign just held there on the street corner. And as the, red, uh, the light turned red and I came to a stop and they were just kind of kitty corner away from me, I thought, I'm just going to watch. Going to watch them interact with the people. Going to watch them interact with the world as Margaret Stenerson, the school just up the road there, had just been released. And there was kids and families and people everywhere through this intersection. I thought, hey, this is going to be a neat, neat, neat human observation moment. And these two gentlemen, one just held the sign high, the other just held the sign low. And I thought, hey, there's no interaction. There's not even a nod. There wasn't even a putting the sign down saying, hey, what's your name? There wasn't any single moment where these two guys would put the signs down just to engage with the people. The world just walked on by, ignoring two guys holding signs. Let's not even mention how arbitrary these slogans are to the world who does not know what they mean. I mean, like, what are the chances that uh, someone like myself, in need of knowledge, is going to suddenly stop my car on the side of the road there and shout out my open window, tell me more? I don't think that's really going to happen because I don't think holding a sign is enough. You mean... Sorry, I, I, don't, I don't want to limit just how God works. I really, really don't. Because as we just read in Acts chapter 9, God's voice came down to Saul and changed Saul's life forever. So I don't want to limit how God works. But I just don't think a sign on a street corner is enough. Because before we can win hearts, we must gain an audience. And so like Paul, we must be willing to enter into the world that we are trying to reach. We must enter into the world we're trying to reach. But this is where I want to hold on for a moment. We're already in their world. We're already their neighbors. We're already parents with kids who have friends. We're already colleagues and working shoulder to shoulder alongside someone else in this world. Where we are is right where God has placed us. Where we are is right where God has placed us. So this is where we, we talk over the fence with our neighbors and we ask about their lives and get to know their families. This is why, where while we watch our kids' sports games or performances, we engage with the person sitting beside us asking, which kid is yours? We work shoulder to shoulder with our colleagues and we are inquisitive about their lives and what they did on this weekend. Perhaps we're even gathered with the family members and uh, there's even someone at the table who we don't really think that they're living the life in the right direction. We might have chosen, maybe we don't even want to go to this particular meal together. Well, we need to go. We need to participate. We need to listen and to seek and to learn about the lives of the others around us. And so we do all of these things so that we can grow in a mutual trust and to build real relationships so that when the time is right, as the Lord ordains it, that they're going to see Jesus in us. There's going to be a cool conversation to follow. Because before we can win hearts, we must gain an audience. All this means that our love of God and for humanity limits our earthly liberties. Not something I'm going to dwell too, too much on in this morning, but thinking back to the moment of the communion service back in the Philippines and that by the tribal area. In that same conversation that Jaden gave me a heads up about what's to come, he also said in the closing of his comments was, you don't have to do this. You really don't. I know how much this is going to pain you. 
you don't have to do this. But immediately as he presented the idea, I knew in my heart I had to. We had traveled, I don't even know how many kilometers, from one side of the world to the other side of the world just to share with people the love of Jesus, to show them that they were loved and that they're valuable. So yeah, I thought in my heart, I could do this. I could give up my freedom to not wash feet. I could give up my freedom and lean down and actually wash a foot. And this principle, I think, has ramifications for how our faith lives look and how we, we really live out our, our lives. Do I sign up to volunteer when my time is tight? We have busy lives. Do I give and tithe this month when my money is running short? Life is expensive. Do I pray for or do I serve the other person that I resent? There's broken relationships all over the place, but the Lord has called us to love and to serve our neighbor. Even him, Lord? Do I forgive that person who hurt me so long ago? Humanly speaking, it's certainly within our rights and our freedoms, yeah, to not do these things. We can make the mental choice, the conscious choice, just to avoid it, to walk away and go do something else. We can. But God's call upon our lives invites us to live a little bit differently, to choose a different way of living. So this calling, this way of living, isn't just, though, for pastors, not just for elders, not just for deacons, not just for life group leaders, not just for youth mentorship leaders, but this is an opportunity and a privilege for the whole church. We'll talk more about this as we get to the closing of all this, but we need to recognize it here before we carry on into this text that Paul isn't writing just to the leadership of the church in Corinth but that he's writing to the leadership of the church in Corinth to share with the entire church, and ultimately, byproduct, us as well. He's writing to them to instruct them to tell the whole church that you all need to be living this way. This is the opportunity and the privilege of everyone to do. So a question I, I find myself asking myself as I interact with this material and as I interact with you about it is, does this level of willingness, does it describe me? Am I willing to do the things of setting aside my own stuff? Maybe putting pause on my hopes and dreams so that I can go serve here? Putting aside my own hopes and dreams to not touch feet? Are you willing to lay down some of your rights and to set aside some of your own rights and freedoms so that others might hear the gospel message? I want to look at the next few verses and where we'll see that following our willingness to serve the Lord, we are called to grow the kingdom and in doing so, it takes a mindset of accommodating and adapting. Let's read verses, starting at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might save some. That by all possible means I might save some. So there are three or four groups that Paul's describing here as he's writing. The first two are kind of looped into one, the Jews and those under the law. These people who, like Paul and how he grew up, was, he was now formerly a law-abiding Jew. They do all the things that the Torah tells them to do. They live and breathe all the ceremonies and rituals that the Old Testament law has commanded them to do. 
Paul couldn't go to the Jews and try to win them over by talking and referencing Greek mythology or any of their Greek poets or historians. They didn't care about those things. He had to reference their own cultural patterns to use them to point them towards who Christ is and how Christ was calling them to live. And even what I find curious about this passage that we just read is that Paul wrote, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew, as if he wasn't a Jew anymore. But Paul grew up as a Jew. He knew everything about Jewish law. That's what Philippians 3 talks about. And as, as he met Christ in Acts chapter 9, his life completely changed. And he saw that all these rituals and ceremonies were all there to point him to who Jesus is. So when he went to live with the Jews again, he knew he had to live like them. Third group, those outside of the law. The Gentiles, anyone who isn't Jewish, those not born under that same law, the the same Old Testament law. Recognizing that Paul couldn't go to the Gentiles trying to win them over by saying, you've got to celebrate the Passover. You've got to march to Jerusalem every, every year to celebrate it. Those patterns, again, they meant nothing to them. So Paul pointed the Gentiles towards Christ in the ways that Christ was revealing himself to them in and through their culture. Pastor Justin mentioned a few weeks ago that that story in Athens where Paul pointed out that that statue that was to the unknown God. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this moment, using their stories to help them understand who Christ was. Then the fourth group, the weak. Those who were Christian converts, who had a sensitive conscience, troubled hearts when it came to following the patterns and ceremonies of their religious past. These people had been converted, and they understood who Jesus is, but they're still kind of trapped and gripped by the old patterns and going into the old modes, unsure of what it all meant. So Paul couldn't have preached the weaker Christian and tell them that they're doing it all wrong. That would just would have ostracized him. He joined them where they were at to help them to see that they were no longer responsible to the older ways. Because Jesus had come, he was a fulfillment. So I feel like on a, on a smaller scale, smaller scale, what I'm going to do here now is, is, is kind of what we do now. This is why when we meet new people, we'll quickly ask about their families. We'll quickly ask about their careers and their hobbies. And as we seek to get to know them as human beings and as individuals, I think that's just us being a good human. You see, in, in my own life, no one's going to come to me and ask me about the score of the big game last night because I'll just answer with some sort of sarcastic reply like, yes, I was cheering for the sporting team. It was a rather robust match. What shirt color were you cheering for? That's me in sports. But I, I recognize as I talk all this way, this is, this is a wrong approach for me. It's my responsibility when interacting with you that I enter into your world and enter into your cares and listen to the realities that are important to you and to your life and then see how through both of those realities we can be pointed to who Jesus is. I need to care that you care about the big game last night. Was there a big game last night? No? Okay, cool. Uh, Justin doesn't even know. <laughs> I need to care that you care about the big game last night, even if it's hard for me to do. I need to do that to understand you. But this all doesn't mean that Paul changed any of the gospel message. He adapted the method, not the message. His gospel message was faithful to the Lord's calling upon his life, but his approach was flexible depending on which of the people that he interacted with. This is what we've been talking all along in the Human Sexuality series. No one's going to care about our position if they don't receive and understand our posture. If they don't know and receive our care, there's no way on planet Earth they're going to care about our God. 
So we've got to get our posture right. And the perfect example of this whole reality was Jesus coming to earth. He was God and had an infinite perspective of everything, past, present, and future in life. And he came down to be a human amongst us. Humans like us who are finite and limited in our understanding. How many of us can actually see past our little nose in the science of time? God had this great understanding. And he comes down and makes the message attainable for us. He made the gospel message comprehensible to you and I. Even as we read scripture, there's so much more scripture could be about if God was to write everything. It says that somewhere in John, if we were to write everything, there'd be volumes on top of volumes. But the Lord preserved it in just a way that you and I would have enough to understand him. And so thinking of your interactions you'll have this week with your coworkers, your neighbors and your kids and even your kids' friends, you must accommodate yourself to their understanding of their world. You must accommodate yourself to their understanding of the world. Because unless you do that, you might be preaching truth to someone who has no clue about what you're talking about. Sorry, Justin, another thing for you. I love it in, my, in our office spaces up back there uh, when uh, Justin's working on a new message or a new sermon series or a new thought process. And he comes with all deep excitement and he comes into my office and he says, sporting analogy, sporting analogy. And I just must look so stupefied. Not in delight, but in the opposite sense. And he doesn't get too far down the sporting analogy. He picks up a dry erase marker off my table and starts drawing a picture on my whiteboard so that I would understand. Because he knows that that's how I'm going to understand. I love it, so keep doing it. From our willingness to serve, our ability to adapt, finally we see that it takes everything we've got. It takes everything we've got. Verse 23. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. It says back, I, I have become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might save some, that I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in his blessings. This verse is about our witness. It's about challenging us to consider just how we interact with the world around us, right where we are. So again, a question I ask myself, do we do everything we can to spread the gospel of God's love? Do we? Do we really? Well, here at Gateway, we have three commitments as a church family to live. We're gonna be biblically serious. We will ground ourselves wholly and completely in God's word. We're going to be community-driven. We're going to set ourselves up to grow and develop our sense of being a church family together. We're going to be relentlessly missional. We're going to do everything we can to expand God's kingdom in any way that we possibly can following the Lord's invitation. And under each of these headings, we have a whole set of values that go along with them three values that we have that underscore the being relentlessly missional. Number one, we will contribute more than we consume. Recognizing that the church does not exist for us. That you and I as a body of believers and many beyond a space here, we comprise the church. We exist for the life of this world and we want to practice ridiculous generosity, ridiculous hospitality so that everyone will understand that we contribute more than we consume, that it all points to the word of God. We desire to be a church community where everyone who is a part are leaning into the mission and helping all people to love and to serve Jesus. Number two, we'll do whatever it takes to reach people for the gospel. And so short of sin, we will be all things to all people that we might win some. Does that sound familiar? 1 Corinthians 9, 23. 
Over this last year, we've sent a few teams out to uh, the Philippines, another one to Mexico. How many people went to both trips? 80, 80 or so people went on both of those trips. Uh, following those trips, we commissioned our life groups and our youth mentorship groups uh, to go into our city to love upon our city through uh, cleaning gravestones, sorting food, pulling weeds, cleaning storefronts, chopping vegetables, and all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we desire to grow in our servant heart ability to connect not only our city, not only our valley, but our entire world with our God. Finally, number three, every member is sent. As we talked already, the ministry calling is not just a special experience for a sacred few. It's the basic element of the Christian life. Every Christian is a sacred priest called by God to join in him and make a contribution to the growth of the kingdom. You see, we desire to be a church of a community of believers where we are equipped in this moment, where we're strengthened in this moment so that we can go into the mission field in the name of Jesus. When I really first learned about this whole thing called evangelism, it was in 2011. I was serving at my prior church, and I led a youth team to San Diego. It was an urban plunge-style missions trip. We were being taught on this point about evangelism and what evangelism looks like. And it was a topic uh, for, for myself, my students, and my leaders that we were pretty unsure about learning because it was very challenging to learn and then even to go do the exercises that they had us do following, it was, oh, oh, it was challenging. A topic that made us squeamish, a local missionary, this guy's name is Martin Malmberg. He taught us that a conversion rarely happens in an initial conversation. He taught us that a conversion rarely happens in, a present, in the initial presentation of the gospel. This is specifically more North America. That it happens over time. And so he turned to his whiteboard and he drew some stuff for us. And on one side, he drew this nice, big, long line. Now, at the beginning, he wrote an A, and at the end, he wrote a Z. Now, hey, just pause. Is Z the Canadian way? Yes, thank you. When I was practicing, I kept on saying Z, and I was like, I feel like I'm doing this wrong. Anyways, at the beginning of the A, he wrote, this is a full-on non-believer. And over here, we have a full-on disciple of Christ. And uh, we do recognize that there's a lot more to go from here as you become a disciple, so it's not just the end point here. And he talked about how uh, at any point along this line, no matter where you were, this is kind of the trajectory that you're on towards getting to know who Christ is. And so he says, a lot of the times, any, any conversation we want to have with anyone is we meet them where they're at, and we hope that we leave them a little bit farther along the line as we disengage that conversation. So we make it a goal to, go, to have someone go from a, an A to a B or maybe a, a J to an L, or maybe, this would be fun, this Y to a Z. But even as I think about this, I think, well, wouldn't it be great to have this moment? Well, of course it would. That'd be amazing to be in that final conversation where someone's like, ah, I get it. But I want us also to recognize this is incredibly exciting. That any time we can enter into any conversation with any soul on any journey, that it becomes an exciting moment where we can help them understand just a little bit more. And even as I think about this, I think of my own story, and I put myself in this one. Um, I was born into a Christian home where my parents uh, said from the very get-go that they were going to raise me to know Jesus Christ. And so since the earliest moments that I, I can understand, that I can remember, I remember going to church every Sunday. 
I remember the hallways of Richmond Christian Reformed Church. I remember running down the hallways and getting the janitor getting mad at us for doing all those things. I remember going to Christian school from grade, uh, kindergarten all the way to grade 12. I remember the, the studies that my dad would lead and uh, the devotions at dinner time. And all of that, I think. This is me here at the beginning. I think all of that, through how my parents raised me, brought me to a place of an S. A good understanding, a good maturity, a, a greater growth towards it all. But I enter my teenage years, and I feel like I kind of went backwards a little bit. Teenagers. I was rebellious. I didn't care as much. I had more doubts. I, concerns were a little bit less. It was probably even farther back than a Q, if I really think about it. But then enter high school. Some of you know uh, who my grade 8 teacher was. My grade 8 teacher was Scott Visser. Uh, this was back at Langen Christian School. And Scott, through his incredible sense of who he was as an individual uh, and his mentorship and his care for his students, somehow in there, I believe I attribute, uh, not just to him, but to the spirit working through them, that he brought me to a point of a T. Just the maturing process and understanding that the Lord counts and the Lord cares. Enter grade 10, another teacher of mine, Larry Clay. Through his mentorship and leadership, I believe he helped me understand a little bit more and brought me to a greater understanding. Enter grade 11. I probably backtracked a fair bit more somehow in there. Um, but my parents were getting tired of me. And you, if they were here, you could ask them later on. They'd be like, yeah, we were getting pretty tired of that kid. Uh, because more of the same stuff. They sent me on a Mexico trip. Parents, send your kids on Mexico trips. My parents signed me up for a trip. And I was like, no, this ain't happening, not doing it, forget it. And they said, well, too bad, the money's been paid, you're signed up, you're going. So they brought me to the meetings, they brought me to the things, kicking and screaming, literally. To the very point that they even put me on the bus to leave. My mom still says, he, if looks could kill, you know the rest. I was not a happy camper. I see a couple moms nodding their heads. Well, there's a couple that led this trip. Their names were Ralph and Margaret Terpstra from uh, Willoughby Christian Reformed Church. And through their leadership, through their desire to see their students grow, I, I, I grew. What's after you? Wow, brain is forgetful. I have to look at my notes. What's after you? Wow. V. Then one night while in Mexico, Tuesday, March 17, 1997, approximately 7.02 p.m., I looked at my watch. I saw my name form on a piece of paper that says, I will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote that out. Unbeknownst to the speaker that was speaking at that time, she was the cook. I can't remember her name. I can't remember what she looks like, but she was there. And she talked about the commitment, the values that we need to all have in our lives. And through her, again, no idea who she is, but she brought me to this point of being this full disciple of Christ, a committed, understanding member of his kingdom. Now, this isn't to say the progression is done, because, well, the Lord wasn't done with me yet. That was back when I was 19, uh, 16. I had a lot more to do, a lot more to grow in. Daryl Johnson, the theologian, he writes this. Sorry, I have to go do this. Evangelism is joining a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. Evangelism is joining a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with the conversation. This is what Paul did with the Jews, the Gentiles and the weak, anyone that he saw. He entered into their world. He got to know their story. He urged them onwards in their faith in a way that they could comprehend and in a way that they could understand. 
And I think back to my high school teachers, to Scott and to, to Larry. They could have taught anywhere. They could have traveled the world and taught wherever they wanted, probably making more money at other schools. I don't know what. They had other options in front of them. But they understood the Lord's call upon their lives to teach at Langley Christian High School. I think of Ralph and Margaret Terpstra, those poor two people. They could have vacationed in Bora Bora. They did not have to lead a group of 20 young, teenage, smelly, stinky, rebellious kids who didn't care about what they were doing. They didn't have to do that. But yet, Ralph and Margaret said, yes, we will enter in and we will serve. I think of that speaker. She didn't have to sign up to be a cook for a YWAM team. She could have vacationed in Mexico. There's a lot of other nicer places. We were in Tijuana. There's a lot of other nicer places in Mexico that she could have enjoyed. But instead, she chose to answer the call of God in her life to serve and to speak and to share in that very moment. So what I'm left asking here is this. What right, what freedom, what hope, what dream might be on your horizon that the Lord is inviting you to step away from so that you can make a contribution to his kingdom. I get a loss of words too when I think about this. Lord, what are you calling me to give up? What is the Lord calling you to give up? And so I think about our city here of Abbotsford. I think of the entire valley that we call home from Richmond, Vancouver, all the way up to Chilliwack. I think, what would this whole region look like if we all just set aside our freedoms? and our differences, inconsequential to our faith, of course, for the sake of the message of Jesus. I mentioned earlier that Jesus was the best example of this. And as I was reading earlier this week, I stopped on John chapter 13. And the passage tells of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And I thought as we lead into communion, this would be a great place to start. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this was the hour, to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he had come to God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment, taken on a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe it with the towel that was wrapped around him. It was the basic rite in Jewish culture back then that as you were to enter the home of anybody that you would have your feet washed by the servant of the house. The servant being the lowest position, the lowest member, the lowest of all lowest people. And it was their role to wash your feet as you entered the house because the streets were dust, they were mud, and they were filled with other things from horses and donkeys as you can might imagine what that is. You would enter into a house and you would have your feet washed so that you would enter into a house and not just make their place dirty. But it was the lowest position to do that. And Jesus took a towel wrapped around him. He wiped them. And he said to Simon Peter, sorry, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Could you imagine that moment, Peter? Jesus at his feet and he's just traveled with them for these last three years and Jesus is washing his feet. Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I, I, I get you, Peter. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, 
don't just wash my feet, but also my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said to him, well, the one who has bathed, who's been baptized, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And hear this, Jesus says to Peter, and you are clean, and you are clean. And Jesus tells us that because of our baptism and being washed by the Holy Spirit that we have been made clean, that our sins have been forgiven and that we have a clean slate in life going forward. This passage closes with Jesus offering an invitation. Verse 20 in chapter 13. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus tells us that as we go into this world with his message, with his name, with his love, there's going to be people that will receive him. And those who receive him receive the Father, and the kingdom of God will grow here on earth. So in this moment of communion that we take in together, my prayer is that you will receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll receive God the Father, that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit into your heart, who in their unity, they will empower you, they will equip you to go into this world setting aside all those human things you have about yourself, about those rights and about those freedoms, those hopes and those dreams perhaps. But you will do so with strength and with confidence knowing that there will be souls won for him. You've been listening to the latest message in our First Corinthians series focused on learning godly solutions to the problem of sin in our lives. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.